we are in Judges, and we finished Judges 15 last time. Obviously, the judge that we're dealing with here is Samson. Samson has just finished slaughtering a whole bunch of Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. So we're now down to chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. On our map behind us, You'll notice that Gaza is on the map where it is today in Israel, on the coast. Hebron is off the map to the right side. You can see Bethlehem, for example. Hebron is uh, reasonably close to parallel to Bethlehem, but farther east. So this guy is schlepping the gates of a city from the coast to Hebron. This is all there is to that story. I got no idea what's going on. But if you look at the scale on the map, it is probably about 40 miles that he carries the thing. In fact, I am sort of reminded of, do you remember the old TV program Bonanza? Cowboy program, and it was about some number of brothers, I don't remember how many there were, in the Old West. And one of the guys was played by a guy named Dan Blocker, and he was called Hoss, as in horse. And he is a big guy. And there's a vignette in one of the episodes. It's probably the only thing I remember about the TV show, but I remember this episode. And there's a wagon parked out in the street, dirt street of the town. And in there is this anvil. And some of the guys are going to play a trick on Hoss. And they're going to take his anvil and they're going to schlep it away and hide it somewhere. And they get two or three of these guys on this thing, and they can't lift it. And Hoss walks up and <clears throat> puts his arms under it, picks it up, turns around, walks into the blacksmith shop with it. And the guys that were going to do this to him look at each other and say, you know, it just wouldn't be right to steal a man's anvil. And I sort of think of Samson carrying the gates in that same vein. So you've got the Philistines waiting out there to ambush him. Samson wakes up at midnight, goes out, jerks the gates of the city, posts it all up, and walks 40 miles with it. And I can see the Philistines say, you know, it just wouldn't be right to ambush a guy first thing in the morning. I have no idea what else is going on here, but that is the thing that comes to mind for me. So verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, i, I got to say, she's direct, but I don't know about you, 
But if I were courting a woman and that was the thing she was interested in, I might grow suspicious. And Samson is obviously kind of a thug. He's obviously a big, strong guy. He's obviously not terribly tactful. He's obviously got a temper, obviously got an eye for the ladies. But God uses him. So verse 7, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. So she's asked him, how can we rob your strength? He says, seven fresh bowstrings. And the next thing she shows up with seven fresh bowstrings and says, cross your hands, babe. Verse 9. Now she had men laying in ambush in the inner chamber. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstring like a thread of flax snapped when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, what I don't know here, this scripture is just silent. Obviously, she's taken the bribe, or at least she's expecting the bribe. They actually don't give her the bribe until she succeeds. So she goes in and she binds this guy with the seven fresh bowstrings. She's got a squad of Philistines hiding in another room. Now, what I don't know, and the scripture does not say, is when he jumps up and snaps the bowstrings, whether he also snaps a few Philistines. And one of the things that could be going on here is he's asleep, theoretically, and she yells, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. This obviously rouses him, and he wakes up and snaps the bowstrings. This may be something that she is doing to test whether or not the binding has worked before she gets the Philistines who are in the other room committed. The other thing that could be going on here, and the reason he is cooperating, how to say this delicately, there may be something kinky going on. And that may be why he allows himself to be bound. As you read it on the surface, knowing how the story comes out, the idea that he's letting her tie him up doesn't make any sense. And one way that it might make sense is, as I say, if there's something kinky going on here. So verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. So again, this cry of the Philistines are upon you, he may be asleep or whatever and wakes up and snaps the ropes. Don't have any idea. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web 
and fastened it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, now this is the first time that sleep is mentioned. So it isn't clear in the previous two cases that he is asleep, which is why there may be something else going on there. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. I don't know what the web is. Maybe something like a a hairnet or something like that. Verse 14 again. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed unto death. And he told her all his heart. He said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak like any other man. I am drawn to the proverb about being in a house with a contentious woman. And that's what's going on here, is she is nagging him day and night. The other thing about it, by the way, is it never says here they ever got married. So she's just a girlfriend. 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Now, guy must be a pretty heavy sleeper, that's all I can say. You got a barber coming in, you got whatever. Anyway, so... She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So they've blinded him, and they've taken him down and chained him to a millstone so that he just walks around in circles like a donkey and grinds grain. 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. I don't know what he did to entertain them, other than just be there. And that may be all it was. It's just he's brought in there and they mock him. And that's the entertainment. 26. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, 
Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So you've got the building, an auditorium, and on the roof you've got 3,000 people. So I don't have any idea how many people were in the building. But you got 3,000 on top, and I would imagine that many or more down below. In other words, the ones in the building got the good seats, and the ones on the roof got the cheap seats, is what I'm imagining, but I don't know that. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And remember, he killed them by the thousands while he was alive. So he's got lots more. 31. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So his career from the time that he was a full-grown man until the time of his death was 20 years, so I would imagine he died in his 40s or 50s. Now, I've changed the map, as you can see behind me, and this is a map of tribal allocations at the time of Joshua. The reason that's important is you'll notice over on the coast you see Dan. And Samson is a Danite. And the tribe of Dan is up against the Philistines, and the tribe of Dan is unable to hold and conquer its land. They do fine when Samson is in business, because Samson is able to keep the Philistines suppressed. But once Samson is gone, Dan is not going to be able to hold their land. So this next vignette in Judges is going to talk about the process by which Dan moves from where it is up to the north to the northern end of Naphtali up there. So later, Dan's territory is going to be up on the Lebanese border because they can't hold the coast. So chapter 17. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. By the way, notice that it's 1,100 pieces of silver again. I have no idea what that's about. just don't know the answer to that. But basically, this guy has gone into his mom's cookie jar, and he has taken 1,100 pieces of silver out of the cookie jar, Mom has discovered that it's missing, and she has uttered a curse on whoever has stolen her silver. And he said, uh, that was me. So Micah has 
clipped his mom's silver, and then she curses whoever did it, and he then thinks better of it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. This whole story starts off on a bad note, and it's getting worse. Son steals mom's silver. Mom curses son. Son returns the silver. Mom says, well... I'd really rather not have cursed my son, so let's go ahead and take some of this silver and make it into an idol, and that'll make everything okay. And so verse 5, And the man Micah had a shrine, and made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Now, I don't know what basis he had for ordaining one of his own sons. Micah is from Ephraim. We're going to get you a Levite in a minute. He's going to come on the scene and So we've got the image that was made out of silver. We've got an ephod, and I don't know what an ephod is. That keeps coming up, and I'm not sure what it is. It it has to do with idol worship. Remember uh, Gideon made an ephod out of the earrings that he took off of the Midianites when he conquered them. Remember he had everybody throw their earrings into a bag, and he then made an ephod out of those earrings. I don't know what an ephod is. The priest has an ephod, which is the breastplate with the stones on it. That doesn't seem like what we're doing here, but I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, it's not good. Verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. You know how your uh, fairy tales always went out to make his fortune? That's what's going on here. This guy is going out to make his fortune. He's looking for a place. He's looking for a situation. He's looking for a career. Eight. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. In other words, I'm looking for a gig. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. So... Ten chunks of silver, a new suit of clothes, room and board. That's the offer. And this guy snaps it up. Verse 11. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. By the way, Lord here is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. So he's got the right name, but he is 
behaving as a superstitious pagan. What he is assuming is that the form and the ritual is what are going to cause his blessing, and the fact that he has an idol, and it is entirely possible that he views his idol or his metal image in the same way that the Orthodox Church regards its icons. The Orthodox Church has icons of saints, and they will tell you these are not idols, these are focuses of worship. And the Roman Catholic Church will say the same thing. In fact, that is what was going on with the golden calf. And God is very, very clear you don't have any images that you fall down and worship. You don't use them as focuses of worship. You don't do anything like that. So what we've done here is that we have mixed pagan religion with the Torah. The guy says, okay, I got myself a genuine Levite. Well, Levites are the priestly class. Cool. Everything is now going to be kosher, and I'm going to really get blessed because I'm doing everything right spiritually. Moses would disagree with him. So now chapter 18. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. They were given a chunk of land by Joshua. They were unable to hold it. The way this is written makes it sound like Dan was sort of left out in the casting of lots, and that's not the case. Verse 2. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtal. Remember, Zorah and Eshtal is where Samson hung out, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. They came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. Micah's got a busy place. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. I have no idea what's going on there because the young Levite came from Bethlehem. You know, he may have been known to them. I don't know the answer to that, but they apparently know him. So they recognized the voice of the young Levite, and they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Verse 7. Then the five men departed and came to Tolaish, and they saw the people who were there. Now they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that was in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. So they lived in the manner of the Sidonians, which tells me that they were Sidonians at one time, related to the Sidonians, something like that. But there is a mountain range between Laish and Sidon. Sidon is on the coast, south of Tyre, and Laish is inland in the Beka Valley. And there's a mountain range between them. So apparently this is an offshoot from Sidon where a bunch of people set out and found themselves a place to live and settled there. 
Sidonians are Phoenicians. Tyre and Sidon are two Phoenician cities. Tyre is north of Sidon. Yeah, way up at the top of Asher. That little town on the coast there is Sidon. That's where the Sidonians come from. And then if you go over to the top of Nathali, there's this little town that's now called Dan. That's Laish. At this point, it's Laish. It will become Dan. Although there's not a lot of distance on the map between the two, what you don't see is there's a mountain range between them. They've gone from Dan up north. They found the Sidonians, and the Sidonians had no dealings with anyone. In other words, they were sort of a little insular community. That becomes important. Verse 8. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtaol, their brothers said to them, What did you report? So they returned back. Verse 9. They said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it was very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. So what they've said is, these guys are ripe for picking. Go ahead and head on up there, and we'll take their land. Verse 11. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol, and went up and encamped at Kirath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that the place was called Mahanadan, an encampment of Dan, to this day. Behold, it is west of Kirath-Jerim, and they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and they came to the house of Micah. We're back to Micah again. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. Now, the answer should be, burn it to the ground, but that's not going to be their response. Verse 15, And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. So you have a biker gang that has just pulled up and said, uh, we want your stuff. Verse 18. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods in the middle age, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be the priest of the house of one man or to be the priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. In other words, he got offered a better gig and picked up all of the idol-worshipping trappings and changed sides. All right, there's more here than I want to do in the next three minutes. So I think we probably ought to pause here. We'll finish it up next week. <laughs>